Chapter Fifteen of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Fifteen. Tallente found himself possessed of a haunting, almost a morbid feeling that a lifetime had passed since last his car had turned out of the station gates and he had seen the moorland unroll itself before his eyes there was a new pungency in the autumn air an unaccustomed scantiness in the herbage of the moor and the low hedges growing from the top of the stone walls the glory of the heather had passed though here and there a clump of brilliant yellow gorse remained the telegraph posts leaning away from the wind seemed somehow scantier the road stretched between them lonely and desolate from a farmhouse in the bosom of the tree-hung hills lights were already twinkling and when he reached the edge of the moor and the sea spread itself out almost at his feet the shapes of the passing steamers with their long trail of smoke were blurred and uncertain below his home field his wall enclosed patch of kitchen garden the long low house itself lay like pieces from a child's play-box stretched out upon the carpet only to-night there was no mist they made their cautious way downwards through the clearest of darkening atmospheres on the hillsides as they dropped down they could hear the music of an occasional sheep bell rabbits scurried away from the headlights of the car an early owl flew hooting over their heads Talent, tired with his journey perhaps a little worn with the excitement of the last two months found something dark and a little lonely about the unoccupied house something a little dreary in his solitary dinner and the long evening spent with no company save his books and his pipe later on he lay for long awake watching the twin lights flash out across the channel and listening to the melancholy call of the owls as they swept back and forth across the lawn to their secret abodes in the cliffs when at last he slept however he slept soundly an unlooked-for gleam of sunshine and the dull roar of the incoming tide breaking upon the beach below woke him the next morning long after his usual hour he bathed shaved in front of the open window and breakfasted with an absolute renewal of his fuller interest in life it was not until he had sent back the car in which he had driven as far as the station and was swinging on foot across woolhanger moor that he realized fully why he had come why he had schemed for these two days out of a life packed with multifarious tasks then he laughed at himself heartily yet a little self-consciously a fool's errand might yet be a pleasant one even though his immediate surroundings seemed to mock the sound of his mirth. Woolhanger Moor, in November, was a dreary enough sight. There were many patches of black mud and stagnant water, carpets of treacherous-looking green moss, bare clumps of bushes bent all one way by the northwest wind, masses of rock, gaunter and sterner now that their summer covering of creeping shrubs and bracken had lost their foliage it was indeed the month of desolation every scrap of colour seemed to have faded from the dripping wet landscape phantasmal clouds of grey mist brooded here and there in the hollows the distant hills were wreathed in vapour 
so that even the green of the pastures was invisible every now and then a snipe started up from one of the weedy places with his shrill mournful cry and more than once a solitary hawk hovered for a few minutes above his head the only other sign of life was a black speck in the distance a speck which came nearer and nearer until he paused to watch it standing upon a little incline and looking steadily along the rude cart track the speck grew in size a person on horseback a woman soon she swung her horse around as though she recognized him jumped a little dyke to reach him the quicker and reined up her horse by his side holding one hand down to him mr tallente she exclaimed how wonderful he held her hand looking steadfastly almost eagerly up into her flushed face her eyes were filled with pleasure his errand in those few breathless moments seemed no longer the errand of a fool i can't realize it even now she went on drawing her hand away at last i pictured you at westminster in committee rooms and all sorts of places aren't you forging weapons to drive us from our homes and portion out our savings i have left the thunderbolts alone for one short weekend he answered i felt a hunger for this moorland air london becomes so enveloping jane sat upright upon her horse and looked at him with a mocking smile how ungallant i hope you had come to atone for your neglect have i neglected you he asked quietly turning and walking by her side shockingly you lunched with me on the seventh of august i see you again on the second of november and i do believe that i shall have to save you from starvation again it's quite true he admitted i have a sandwich in my pocket though in case you were away from home worse than ever she sighed you didn't even trouble to make inquiries from whom should i robert my servant his wife and a boy to help in the garden are all my present staff at the manor robert drives the car and waits on me and his wife cooks they are estimable people but i don't think they are up in local news you are quite safe she said looking ahead of her i am never away the tail end of a scat of rain beat on their faces from the hollow on their left the wind came booming up i should have thought that for these few months just now he suggested you might have cared for a change i have my work here such as it is she answered a little listlessly if i were in town for instance i should have nothing to do you must sometimes feel the need of society down here i doubt whether i should meet the people who would interest me she replied and in any case i have my work here that keeps me occupied they turned into the avenue and soon the long front of the house spread itself out before them jane who had been momentarily absorbed looked down at her companion you are alone at the manor she asked quite alone she became the hostess directly they had passed the portals of the house she led him across the hall into her little sanctum this is the room she told him in which i never do a stroke of work sacred to the frivolities alone i shall send morton in to see what you will have to drink while i change my habit you must have something after that walk i shan't be long for the second time she avoided meeting his eyes as she left the room 
Tallente stood on the hearthrug, still looking at the closed door through which she had vanished, puzzled, a little chilled. He gave his order to the attentive butler, who presently appeared and who looked at him with covert interest. The press had been almost hysterically prodigal of his name during the last few weeks. Then he settled down to wait for her return with an impatience which became almost uncontrollable. It seemed to him, as he paced restlessly about, that this little apartment, which he remembered so well, had in a measure changed, was revealing a different atmosphere, as though in sympathy with some corresponding change in its presiding spirit. There was a huge and well-worn couch, smothered with cushions and suggestive of a comfort almost voluptuous. A large easy chair, into which he presently sank, of the same character. The wood logs burning in the grate gave out a pleasant sense of warmth. He took more particular note of the volumes in the well-filled bookcases. Volumes of poetry, French novels, with a fair sprinkling of modern English fiction. There was a plaster cast of the Paris Magdalene over the door, and one or two fine point etchings, after the style of Heliot, oh, upon the walls. There was no writing-table in the room, nor any signs of industry, but a black oak gate-table was laden with magazines and fashion papers. Against the brown walls, a clump of flaming yellow gorse leaned from a distant corner, its faint almond-like fragrance mingling aromatically with the perfume of burning logs and a great bowl of dried lavender more than ever it seemed to talent that the atmosphere of the room had changed had become in some subtle way at the same time more enervating and more exciting it was like a revelation of a hidden side of the woman who might indeed have had some purpose of her own in leaving him here he set down his empty glass with the feeling that vermouth was a heavier drink than he had fancied. Then a streak of watery sunshine filtered its way through the plantation and crept across the worn, handsome carpet. He felt a queer exultation at the sound of her footsteps outside. She entered, as she had departed, without directly meeting his earnest gaze. "'I hope you have made yourself at home,' she said. "'Dear me, how untidy everything is!' She moved about, altering the furniture a little, making little piles of the magazines, a graceful, elegant figure in her dark velvet house-dress, with a thin band of fur at the neck. She turned suddenly around and found him watching her. This time she laughed at him frankly. "'Sit down at once,' she ordered, motioning him back to his easy-chair and coming herself to a corner of the lounge. "'Remember that you have a great deal to tell me and explain.' The newspapers say such queer things. Is it true that I really am entertaining a possible future prime minister? I suppose that might be, he answered a little vaguely, his eyes still fixed upon her. So this is your room. I like it. And I like... Well, go on, please, she begged. I like the softness of your gown, and I like the fur against your throat and neck, and I like those buckles on your shoes, and the way you do your hair. She laughed gracefully enough, yet with some return to that mood of uneasiness. You mustn't turn my head, she protested. You, fresh from London, which they tell me is terribly gay just now. I want to understand just what it means you're throwing in your lot with the Democrats. 
my uncle says for instance that you have abandoned respectable politics to become a tower hill pedagogue respectable politics he replied if by that you mean the present government of the country have been in the wrong hands for so long that people scarcely realize what is undoubtedly the fact that the country isn't being governed at all a government with an opposition party almost as powerful as itself all made up of separate parties which are continually demanding sops can scarcely progress very far can it but the democrats she ventured are surely only one of these are isolated parties i have formed a different idea of their strength he answered i believe that if a general election took place to-morrow the democrats would sweep the country i believe that we should have the largest working majority any government has had since the war how terrible she murmured involuntarily truthful your tame socialism isn't equal to the prospect he remarked a little bitterly my tame socialism as you call it she replied draws the line at seeing the country governed by one class of person only and that class the one who has the least at stake in it lady jane he said earnestly i am glad that i am here to point out to you a colossal mistake from which you and many others are suffering the democrats do not represent labor only the small shopkeepers she suggested nothing of the sort he replied the influence of my party has spread far deeper and further we number amongst our adherents the majority of the professional classes and the majority of the thinking people amongst the community of moderate means why if you consider the legislation of the last seven or eight years you will see how they have been driven to embrace some sort of socialism nothing so detestable and short-sighted as our financial policy has ever been known in the history of the world the middle classes meaning by the middle classes professional men and men of moderate means for the chief burden of the war they submitted to terrible taxation to many privations besides the universal gift of their young blood we won the war and what was the result the wealth of the country through ghastly legislation drifted into the hands of the profiteering classes the wholesale shopkeepers the ship owners the factory owners the mine owners the professional man with two thousand a year was able to save a quarter of that before the war after the war taxation demanded that quarter and more for income tax thrust upon him an increased cost of living cut the ground from beneath his feet it isn't either of the two extremes the aristocrat or the laboring man where you must look for the pulse of the country's prosperity it is to the classes in between and lady jane they are flocking to our camp just as fast as they can just as fast as the country is heading for ruin under its present government you are very convincing she admitted why have you not spoken so plainly in the house the moment hasn't arrived tallente replied there will be a general election before many months have passed and that will be the end of the present fool's paradise at st stephen's and then we shan't abuse our power he assured her what we aim at is a national party which will consider the interests of every class that is our reading of the term democrat 
our program is not nearly so revolutionary as you are probably led to believe but we do mean to smooth the way so far as we can from a practical point of view the inequalities of life we want to sweep away the last remnants of feudalism tell me why they were so anxious to gather you into the fold she asked i think for this reason he explained stephen dartrey is a brilliant writer a great orator and an inspired lawmaker the whole world recognizes him as a statesman it is his name and genius which have made the democratic party possible on the other hand he is not in the least a politician he doesn't understand the game as it is played in the house of commons he lives above those things that is why i suppose they wanted me i have learnt the knack of apt debating and i understand the tricks even if ever i become the titular head of the party dartrey will remain the soul and spirit of it if they were not able to lay their hands upon some person like myself i believe that miller was supposed to have the next claim and i should think that miller is the one man in the world who might disunite the strongest party on earth disunited i should think he would disperse it to the four corners of the world she exclaimed the butler announced luncheon she rose to her feet i cannot tell you he said with a little sigh of relief as he held open the door for her how thankful i am that i happen to find you alone End of chapter fifteen